You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to that Chelsea podcast. It's an emergency podcast, a podcast that I didn't envision myself doing when I woke up this morning. Um, but that's the beauty of following Chelsea. Expect the unexpected. Uh, I'm joined by Dan Charles from Football London. Daniel, how are we doing, man? It's been a crazy day. I can't believe we're back here again. <laughs> but uh, in some ways, it, it's just Chelsea, isn't it? It's just predicts, as you say, predictably unpredictable chaos and hopefully more trophies to come. So it's, uh, yeah, my brain's a bit fried. Hopefully I can make a, a bit of sense because it's, I think for most Chelsea fans, it's been whiplash and um, just trying to come to terms with with the change and a decision and then trying to think about what comes next. But it's, it's nice, to, uh, the last time we did this, obviously with Frank, it, it's nice because I think it's important to reflect because football moves so fast that you need some time to reflect on on what in the end turned out to be a very good coach for Chelsea. Yeah, no, exactly. For any new listeners, we did a very similar thing when Frank Lampard got sacked 18 months ago, and it allowed us to kind of just look back at the good times. And the reason for kind of doing a one-off pod is it this kind of allows it, because if I waited to the weekend, you've got Fulham game thrown in there, and there's just a lot, and there's a, probably a new manager, and it kind of gets forgotten. And I think Thomas Tuchel, for what he deserved, for what he achieved, kind of deserves... I mean, I'm sure he listens to this podcast, obviously, <laughs> but he, he deserves, I guess, you know, the, the opportunity to to get the respect he deserves. Uh, but then before we kind of get back into looking at the 2K, let's just go to this morning. The news breaks. Obviously, mm. we have been having conversations just like privately for weeks, kind of saying the vibe we kind of getting around Chelsea isn't great. We didn't have like any pretty big, big information. This was just kind of our experience supporting Chelsea, mm. noticing telltale patterns. Obviously, you were on the season preview podcast. Uh, it's obviously Madam. And we kind of said it feels tense at Chelsea right now. You don't know which way the season's going to go. I, I jokingly said let's make a seismic prediction a seismic event prediction for the podcast that will happen this season and we said Thomas Ducal getting sacked and seven games in here we are 
Um, just kind of your thoughts to, to this this news and just yeah the season how it's kind of come about. Yeah, I I don't think it's a complete shock. As in, we could have never seen this coming. How has this decision come about? You know, it, everything seemed perfect. Uh, that's obviously not the case. And that never really is the case when a manager gets sacked, even if it's a shock and maybe the wrong decision, which I'm sure a lot of people think it is for Tuchel. As we spoke about on that season preview, there were things in preseason and it just, I, I think, is the shock of that news coming through this morning when I started to sit down and reflect about it a bit more. You know, I, I'm transported back to Orlando you know, sitting in that seat watching Chelsea against Arsenal, looking very disorganised, um, a team that lacked a lot of energy, lacked a lot of inspiration and didn't look like they were really building towards anything. And based on what we've seen this season so far, with the exception of the Spurs performance, that's kind of been the trend, hasn't it? Even the wins we've got, you could argue have been that there's a bit of fortune there or it's just, you know, really grinding out and, and trying to uh, get ourselves through, particularly the, the Leicester game comes to mind. The performances have not been good and I think it's been fair for people to criticise. Now, I don't think we were at a stage at all, really, to a point where we were having serious conversations about replacing Thomas Tuchel. That never, we never got to that stage, which just reflecting on it a bit more, maybe maybe that's a good thing. You know, it didn't become that toxic and it just kind of is over. So we never got into the whole culture war thing uh, that we did with Frank and it, and it wasn't really, really depressing. And every match, we never got to the stage where every match became a referendum on the manager. Like obviously on this case, that, that wasn't the way it turned out. But there were problems. Um, I don't think anyone can come away from the Zagreb and Southampton games, not with at least serious questions or concerns or disappointment and also just that feeling that we've been speaking about that you have instinctively as a Chelsea fan um there is of course comes out of the previous regime of just when you start to see or also knowledge of football and how things turn out with managers the players it's it's such a simple take I know and it's not as simple as like downing tools I don't think that's the case in this I think under Lampard that was much more the case particularly you think about you watch the Leicester performance you watch the Zagreb performance they're both bad defeats but the, the Leicester performance was much more quite obviously everything's gone wrong it was just kind of that feeling of tension that feeling that things weren't clicking and I was really concerned we go into halftime 1-0 down against Zagreb and you come out in the second half and there's no tangible improvement. There's no real response. Um, Chelsea just look out of step. They look out of sync. They and, and sure, we brought in a lot of new players, but just the general vibe of things, the body language of the players when we're going 1-0 down, when we get any sort of setback, doesn't look good. And the body language of Tuchel on the touchline is not what it once was. Um, he's... he's is was spending a lot of time just sitting watching the game play out. Um so yeah, it's it's of course it's still a massive shock and it's a massive, massive call from new owners. It's it's a bold call from the new owners, it really is. And um, I don't fully agree with. But I'd be dishonest if I say I didn't have these concerns that we may have reached this stage eventually. Um which I think a, a lot of people I speak to go home and away for Chelsea already having these concerns. So so yeah, that's kind of a general reaction to it. Yeah, no, exactly. And look, 
the general kind of narrative I've been kind of saying on this podcast week, you know, is Chelsea right now feels like we're only one game away from a crisis. And that was partly just fueled by, you know, prior experience of knowing Chelsea, but also the fact that Chelsea and the like issues we faced, the start of the season was poor, but the general malaise, I think, kind of set in before this season actually started. Mm. We kind of saw it last season. I don't know how many times I've used the phrase, the amount of games I've enjoyed watching Chelsea post-Juventus, I can count on one hand. But I know I've said that to you and I've said that to a lot of other people. There was a general malaise and the football had become quite unenjoyable. And so while it's a shock and we don't necessarily agree with what's gone on, these issues were there. And I, you know, as much as last season, as much as sanctions, as much as there were so many other distractions, I do think the wheels had already maybe started to fall off prior to this season. And it just became so much more glaring in these first few weeks of the season. The fact that we've essentially seen one really good performance in seven games, and that was against Spurs in a big game where you kind of backed these players to get up for it because you know that you know this group, you know what to because like you know you trust these players in big games, and it's actually been in lesser games where we've seen problems and we've seen struggles and we've gone behind. Yeah, it's it's it is a tough one. It is really, yeah. It's it's quite hard to kind of explain, but it's just been one of those where I was shocked. My shock comes from because that was a very old ownership move, and yeah. this is a new ownership, and we don't know what to expect. And so that's I think where the shock is for a lot of people. Like in terms of performances, results they've been poor. You know, I've complained and I've been pretty miserable watching Chelsea. I've kind of said to people, I've been kind of apathetic watching us this season, and I, I think I said to you, I genuinely don't know what was worse. And I'm the fact that the last month under Frank, I was just so sad watching us. It was horrible to watch all the mm. fact that I was actually generally just apathetic to watching us under Tuchel and the results didn't move me. I generally at that point, I didn't know what was worse. Yeah. It's just one of those things how it's, unfortunately, it just got, got quite sad really, really quickly. But it is, yeah, it's one of those things. And I guess we'll... It feels very 2007, doesn't it? I, yeah. You know, another thing, and I referenced it in my piece, uh, you know, I, I know we were sort of reflecting on 15, 16, and then, you know, you get this decision ironically after the first champions league game which is when jose's first reign came to an end and there's a lot about jose early jose and took that that we've made comparisons between the two of them i think the way they've handled themselves and the way they've approached things and took success in the champions league i think ref- felt a lot like oh four or five to me at his best you know and the way he handles himself in the media it reminds me of a very charismatic early jose Mourinho, um and i guess that this is for another podcast, this is for the future now, is the new ownership has to prove if they do value long-term planning, the ne- the way they treat the next guy, um, which is probably not what pe- people want to hear right now, but it's like the way they treat the next guy is going to be more probably informative because then you can't have the excuse of, well, he wasn't our guy to begin with. And kind of my feeling on Tuchel because I want we were going to get into positive things because generally overwhelmingly I think it is positive on Thomas Tuchel but my feeling is where it probably did go wrong is that he was an Abramovich appointment obviously but he I think he was a very Abramovich type of coach like the mentality of that era that just quite clearly didn't blend into this one and whatever the plan is it those two things didn't gel. And I don't think that's a ridiculous take. I can see where that feeling of friction came from based on some of his decisions that I disagreed with, some of the way he approaches picking one player over another. Um, 
And something he said in one of his last quotes as Chelsea head coach, actually before the game was played last night, when they were asking him about 100 games, he said, what I'm looking for is the win and nothing else. And the nothing else part feels very, very Abramovich Chelsea. It's just result first. We think about it later. And that's, I think, why people became quite apathetic or negative about the performances was that in some ways a criticism of Mourinho could be applied to Tuchel. When Chelsea won games, very rarely did they entertain, very rarely did they feel expressive. You know, when we go 1-0 up in games, I am I very rarely feel like we're going to overwhelm teams. And with the talent we have and the teams we're competing with, I'm not quite sure that kind of risk-free approach was what Chelsea needed. If we're solely looking at the Premier League and improving there, will the replacement solve that we don't know it's a massive risk and Tuchel is one of the best coaches in European football there's absolutely no denying that um and he I would have still backed him in big games I would have still backed him in the Champions League to get us quite far even though we lost to Zagreb so it's it's I think for me personally it's mixed emotions today I I can see I can see why things went wrong I think you're. Ex- I'm. Ex- I'm a lot more in the grooving process. It, it's going to be a lot quicker post Tuchel than it was with Frank for sentimental reasons, personally. And maybe that that sacking of Frank numbed me a lot more um, as a fan. I don't know if anyone else has that experience. You know, I'm a lot more numb to sackings now because I think a lot of us bought into that sort of dream of the long term. And I think everything I was here. I think this time as well, hearing a lot more of what was going on in in previous months, maybe got my got me mentally ready for this possibility which is still sad it's still upsetting because as you've pointed out some of the things I've been watching today back on Tuchel's first press conference his his great moments as we're going to point out um do make you wonder what could have been and and, and sadly his his Chelsea story is incomplete like nearly all of Chelsea's head coaches over the past 20 years have been yeah, no, exactly. Who knows? Maybe in a multiverse somewhere elsewhere, Putin doesn't invade Ukraine and, Tuchel, and the Abramovich era continues and Tuchel stays. Because it did feel at long last we had finally got that coach that we needed for that time. And then circumstances, you know, happened. Yeah, it, it's it's a sad day. I completely, it was, I didn't, as I said, the Tuchel news actually got me a lot harder than I thought it would. After Frank, I was like, I didn't think I'd get hurt again. But I kind of like, mm. as the day just went on, I did realise, Oh, no. And looking back at it, yeah. this was really special. And- With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Daniel, we'll kind of get into it now, but I'm going to, I kind of look back about time from about his first, from his first press conference to Juventus as kind of footballing Nirvana as a Chelsea fan. But the yeah. levels we reached are levels we've not seen for years, even with Conte levels like 
that was domestically and in Premier League. But with Tuchel, we went to Europe and we we kind of conquered Europe and we saw we actually saw we're becoming a European superpower, a European super team, like in front of our eyes in the space of six to seven months. And that truly was special. So let's just go back to it. The day Frank Lampard gets sacked was a sad day, but Thomas Tuchel comes in and he has his press conference. And Daniel, I mean, press conferences are press conferences. It depends how much people pay attention to. But as press conferences go, he really, you know, said all the right things, got all the right notes, didn't he? That was, mm. you know, a press conference that got you going, okay, I'm on board. Yeah, absolutely was. And and maybe it gets forgotten because the game wasn't that memorable, but it, it actually came after his first game. The Wolves game was the, the nil-nil and then it happened, I believe, the morning after. Uh, and it was kind of his first, he was his unveiling press conference, and also it was a preview for Burnley, kind of. And it was a really challenging week. It was, oh yeah, this comes, of course, from personal bias and my perception of that week's offence, which maybe other people at the time were very excited about Tuchel and wanted to see Lampard be sacked. So for them, they maybe didn't pull too much weight emotionally into that press conference. But I think what Tuchel had to do was he had to dispel a lot of concerns about him being kind of to sound really crude, but these were the things that being written about him before he took the the role of being kind of a mercenary coach of someone who was going to come in, not share much connection to the club and go out very quickly. Um, And as a tactician, so many pieces I read, I remember reading a Raphael Honningstein piece that was looking at sort of his, his obsession with tactics and his obsession with data and kind of some of the things he'd done on the training pitch that made kind of paint the impression of quite a sterile character, someone who was quite distant and, you know, some of the things that he hadn't really connected with the fans at Borussia Dortmund, the way it had gone wrong at PSG. So you kind of, in your head, you have this perception of this guy and then you listen to him speak and he was just so disarming. He was so humble, I think, in, in the face of it. And I, I will always... It sounds really dramatic and kind of cringy, but I do cherish the way he spoke about Lampard in that first press conference because he could have just very easily butted away that question or just, you know, gave a very plain answer. But I think the detail he went into, the honesty he gave, and it was just throughout that press conference, he he I think he managed to, especially for me, he managed to get people on board very quickly. Now, of course, uh, you know, the results obviously helped that and, and the results that followed lift the weight of that press conference if it had gone wrong obviously that's kind of an obvious statement it wouldn't have been the same press conference and we wouldn't have looked at it with the same um admiration but i do think for what chelsea's fans and you've got to remember this was in the lockdown period as well so fans were not inside the stadium as well so he was kind of almost speaking into the void he would not meet chelsea fans till the spring right um in, in person and i felt that the way he spoke just gained respect gained uh, it, it was such a it was such a an opening to what Tuchel's best attributes were as a Chelsea coach I think he just naturally got it as a he was able to speak he had the the language and and the vocabulary to connect with Chelsea fans something that I think Sarri who was a very good tactician um and someone that but someone that just didn't have that other side he didn't have that character and personality to really reflect a message and connect it to supporters and that's where he fell down I think with supporters uh, but Tuchel absolutely had that and he showed that in the first press conference yeah exactly and a dull nil nil at Wol- uh, home to Wolves was the start of the Tuchel era but bear in mind he'd literally been in the country about 24 hours it was very hard to really you know take too much from that game a first win followed against Burnley of the weekend uh obviously that was Cesar Azpilicueta scoring the first goal of the Thomas Tuchel era. 
and uh, a rather villainous character at the time, adding a second. Uh, we kind of, Daniel Arquette's first big win, I guess. And I guess it's always a good way to enamour yourself with fans. Going to Spurs and winning 1-0 and beating Jose Mourinho. Now, Chelsea won that game thanks to a Jorginho penalty. Again, it was early days, and I don't think, you know, again, this is trying to go back from memory. Chelsea didn't necessarily create loads in that game, but it was just defensively solid. And it was, again, just a statement win against a big side. And just, again, within just getting one simple result, again, just immediately does massive things for, for your rapport with the fans. Yeah, and, and maybe that night in particular with where it would end up in May was kind of the first sign of Tuchel's approach to these big games against high-quality opposition. Um, the 3 4 2 one Thiago Silva got injured in the first half and was replaced by Andreas Christensen, something we would see happen a few months later in Porto. Um, you know, it was it was one of those performances that I think for a lot of people, it was just culturally, again, it, it's making that connection to supporters. And of course, beating Spurs is always going to be a massive, massive thing within a season for fans, particularly away from home. And it just got Chelsea further and further away with, especially if you were, if you were upset with, with the Lampard dismissal, um, it got you further away from that and more integrated into what Tuchel was doing. And, you know, we started to see Mason Mount, you know, now we look at him as kind of used to him of playing in a forward line, but this was when he began playing in that role. Um, the way I think Reese was getting up as a wing back. Um, all round, yeah, it, it wasn't the most insane game. Chelsea definitely played better in the coming months, but it was it was a big win and, you know, sliding doors moment, I think, for Jose Mourinho as well. You know, that was a big game for him at the time and, and it just didn't work out and, and Tuchel showed quickly that he could form the base of a very good defence. Yeah. Um, there's then, I guess, three games which you're going to focus on uh, now. The Atletico Madrid first leg, though, is what I want to focus on. Because at the time, that was Chelsea's first win in a knockout tie for seven years. Chelsea obviously hadn't won the tie at this point, but they'd actually won a knockout game for the first time mm. in seven years. And even just that felt such a big moment against Atletico, a team that has had, a you know, without winning the Champions League, has actually had quite a lot of, you know, good good runs in that competition. At the time that draw made, we probably kind of felt that was probably the worst possible team we could get. Bear in mind, they were second seeds. And then obviously, it's an Olivier Giroud won the goal. Um, but Daniel, that performance, again, that was just, again, that was probably the first moment that night was probably the first moment we kind of actually maybe believed that this Champions League run was possible. A Champions League run, you know, we walked through the group stages easily with Frank, but even at that point, I don't think even in our wildest dreams did mm. we obviously think we would go on and win the Champions League. And obviously, N'Golo Kante kind of joked, you know, I think uh, in the group stages saying he thought we'd win the Champions League or after one of the games of that season. But Thomas Tuchel on that performance and that game, that just solidified just a belief that we, you know, would come come to fruition and turn out to be true. Yeah, and I, I felt that that night, something I, I do remember other than the amazing Giroud goal was um, Andreas Christensen, Cesar Azpilicueta and Antonio Rudiger playing as the back three. And that was the back three that played against Barcelona in 2018. And remember Christensen made a massive mistake in that game. And yeah, we'd sort of gone through a period of, of early games with Tuchel in the Premier League and the FA Cup, if I remember rightly, where we'd sort of won. But then you started, we we got into a run of games against opposition who weren't just going to sit back or at least were going to pose awkward questions. And Atletico felt like kind of the perfect kind of um, epitome of that, particularly in the Champions League. They're counter-attacking, they're, they're now sort of there. 
their shithousery, you know, the, the, all of those things that are going to really test you as you, as a team to how ready you are to win a Champions League. I think Atletico in some ways are kind of such a great examination. Now, they weren't at their best that year, but I, I like a lot of teams, we made teams look poor. Um, and that was down to the counter-pressing. I particularly remember the counter-pressing in the first and second leg was brilliant. Uh, consistently the energy we had to keep on winning the ball back to really nullify any counter-attacking opportunities for them. Uh, it, it was took all, as I say, it was, it was, if you look at the Spurs game as, as we have, and then you look at, it's like a progression, isn't it? It's leading up to the May final. And again, you saw the three four two one. one how it was working, how it was getting the best out of players like Christensen. I felt this was kind of the first step for him onto, onto him becoming a better player for Chelsea. Yeah. Obviously, in, before we get to, I guess, about Atletico's second leg, there was also a rather big win against Liverpool at Anfield. And obviously, Liverpool at the time, were, you know, would, this would be when they were going to their horrendous run of form at Anfield, losing a lot of games consecutively. But um, Chelsea hadn't won there since November 2014. And that, again, obviously, Chelsea were also in a top four scrap at the time. And again, that was a statement win away at a big, big side that also just felt huge and obviously Mason Mount who would go out, go on to be Chelsea player of the season with a big big moment that for me that was the biggest win of the first few months of Tuchel's reign I think personally winning Anfield is is massive um but I also felt tactically and out of those one nil wins that Tuchel became very good at winning uh away from home and, and achieving that one in particular was just so eye-catching in the way the precision of our counter-attacks I thought was brilliant. The way we played around Liverpool's press and um, that became a big trademark of Tuchel at his best was his ability to, to get us to, to play around high-pressing teams. And um, Timo Werner, you know, we we were still at a point where I think there was a lot of people very sympathetic towards Timo and he probably, he should have had a goal. It should have been 2-0 that night, really. And again, defensively, uh, you, you started to see the connection between Ben Chilwell and Antonio Rudiger on the left side of defence. Uh, Reese James had such a good performance. I think Christensen was given man of the match. I felt this was one of Jorginho's best performances in a Chelsea shirt. He he really dominated midfield that night. Um, and and the connection between him and Kante as, as a as a double six as Tuchel called it from the off really started to form. So again, and listen, I can't go about mentioning Mason Mount's brilliant solo goal and and Mason that that was his season really. You know, I think that some of the big goals he scored there. Uh, was so big for Chelsea and and the individual quality. Obviously, there were so many parallels with that game again to the Champions League final. And you're just seeing that the basis of that confidence growing with every big win. And Anfield was was such a big one for for Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, and then obviously, you know, a game that we got to see one of the best images of the season: two nil win against Atletico, three nil Madrid to send us through to our first quarter final since 2014. And obviously, we got that you know that image or that video of Thiago Silva, Jorginho, Mason Mount celebrating in the stands. And we kind of also saw, you know, us actually sort of outshit Athletic outshit how's Atletico. Obviously we got, I think, Hermoso or someone else sent off, you know, Rudiger and Zuma, perfect wind-up act. Um and again that I guess that night, that just felt again, just a huge night, a brilliant night. And I guess that was probably the night, obviously because after that first leg, it was brilliant, but we had to, you know, actually make sure we finished the job. We did that. And that was the night where you then looked at that Champions League draw and looked who was left. And we really did believe, didn't we? It was uh, just that was the performance where you, you did start to believe. I mean, it was it was just a big achievement getting the hoodoo of not 
progressing past the last 16 out of the way it really was um and Kante that night was just truly ridiculous I mean he, he had a lot of ridiculous performances in the Champions League that year but particularly that one um and again, you know, he he also started to get the attack working. You know, that, that became a criticism of Tuchel. But on those specific Champions League nights, the way Ziyech, Havertz and Werner, I believe, was the front three that started that game. Uh, I thought Mateo Kovacic had a really good performance. Um, it was it was a combination of the mentality and the the focus just throughout a game. I mean, the lack of chances Chelsea gave up that night um, when they could have been under more pressure was was extraordinary the, the level of control and dominance and territory Chelsea had throughout a night that um you were just ex- instinctively expecting a, an experienced Champions League team like Atletico would turn things around not only with individual quality like Joao Felix who I think it took to like the 93rd minute for him to get a, sh- a good shot at goal over the two legs and Mendy saved it well um you suddenly then looked at it we, you know because that obviously followed into the Champions League quarterfinal draw and you put that performance, the dominance of that performance against such an experienced and shrewd team and you couple it with who we got in the quarterfinals. I think people, yeah, started to believe that there could be something on the cards this year for Chelsea. Yeah. And uh, during this time, Chelsea still, you know, made progress in, in trying to secure top four football. They progressed in the FA Cup. But Dan, just before we had that Porto first leg, Chelsea, I guess, of the first setback, really, of Tupia, a 5-2 home loss to West Brom a shock and a result that, you know, we kind of would come, you know, to get used to with Chelsea from previous seasons and following in the following seasons to come. But the way they bounced back against Porto, a game that was actually probably arguably one of Chelsea's most difficult games they faced in the competition due to the nature of that game, how actually Chelsea weren't amazing, but they came away from a that first leg with an away, obviously both games were held at neutral venues uh, for this round, but a 2-0 win at Porto, Mason Mount getting his first goal, in the Champions League, and then Ben Chilwell rounding off. That showed as well, sort of, you know, Chelsea able to win a game, not playing great in Europe's elite competition. Again, something you kind of need to do if you want to win that competition. I felt, again, both performances just in a different way. Um, I mean, arguably, Porto gave us the most awkward test out of all the teams because uh, they're super physical, particularly in the second leg. Uh that first leg, because it, as you mentioned, it came off the back of West Brom. I remember the first sort of half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, Chelsea were under a little bit of pressure. Um, but then you start to see those individual moments of quality um, that made Tuchel sort of defensive base look so good and so smart. You know, you, you it was that rare period when Tuchel was able to get the attack to click, as I say, again, in, in Champions League it, in, in, in the Champions League uh, knockout stage. And Mason Mount's goal, the turn, the finish, the first time pass, I think it was from Jorginho, was was brilliant. Uh, ben Shirwell doing a Fernando Torres round in the goalkeeper. And obviously he became a massive player for Thomas Tuchel, one of his best, you know, uh, during his, his time at the club. And again, it, it just, you, there was such... There's such confidence to continuing to grow. I mean, you just on such a high at that point. There was just no pressure. It felt like on on Tuchel in that competition that year because I think every time we progressed during the knockout stage, you were just like, oh, we've made another step. We've made another step. And and I think because most people were just kind of like just getting past the last sixteen was kind of uh, would be amazing this year. Yeah. No. Exactly. And after that Porto victory, uh, we then had the first of three meetings 
with Manchester City in the first first of all would go on to be you know quite an infamous uh, first a first of a, an infamous series of matches against them that season, an FA Cup semi final at Wembley. Daniel, the chance to get to a third consecutive final against Pep City, a Pep side that would go on to win the Premier League that season. And again, Thomas Tuchel pulled it out the bag tactically. A 1-0 win, a Hakim Ziyech goal, and he had Chelsea within a matter of months on their way to yet another cup final. Again, it's it's another game in a in a row of them in, in the spring that, you know, going back to the Tottenham one that was just, again, a, a, a progression into the system, you know, and, and the way it was getting better and players were clicking a lot more. And, you know, he the, the impressive thing in all these games we're speaking about was it wasn't like he's just playing the same 11 over and over again. There were tweaks, there were changes. You know, Keppel was in goal for that game in the FA Cup. Um, Hakim Ziyech, I think, came in because um, Kai Havertz would eventually come in as well and be such a defining player. Christian Pulisic was given time. There were there were many changes, sometimes because of injury, sometimes because of other reasons. He would bring players in, in and out. And it was so impressive during that those first few months how the quality level of the players remained the same. Uh, of course, you know, profiles of players are important, but it, it felt like, at least for that short period uh, in the second half of the 2020-21 season, Tuchel was just able to conjure things out of players that they hadn't been doing before. Um, that was one of his most impressive traits in the opening months. And and that performance in particular, again, Chelsea could have scored more than just one. And you saw um, very early on how Chelsea were going to try and break down Man City. And, and they could have, Ziyech, I think, could have scored in the first half with a similar move that actually won the game. So again, it it was, we didn't know at the time it was going to be the first part of a trilogy. Uh, that would lead to an incredible win, but especially against that City team to be that defensively resolute, particularly how easily they've beaten us in January, was so impressive. And um, every, every one of these performances just gained total confidence and you could feel the confidence within the players and the fans growing each time. For a period, all these big games, we'd go into with fear and you were like, oh, you know, is this gonna, is this one? Could we add some batterings off City in, you know, the six nil, the three, the three nil? You know, we'd been effectively beaten by them a number of times, but to actually go into that game, not only have a game plan but look better than them, um, was so impressive. Yeah, gonna fast forward now to arguably one of the great, the best performance of the two clear. Obviously, I guess that's up for discussion. The second leg against Real Madrid, Chelsea drawn the first leg one one. And they came to Stamford Bridge with a chance to get to their first Champions League final since 2012. And Daniel, Real Madrid, European royalty, Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea absolutely played them off the park. If it probably wasn't for Thibaut Courtois and some, some poor finishing, which would be kind of a, a common theme just with Chelsea over the last few years, that would have been greater than the 2-0 scoreline suggested. I, I think you can make a serious case this is the best performance under him. Um simply for the chances we created over and over again and the lack of possession we had as well. I mean, one of the things that's slightly critical of Tuchel is that we have to kind of stare our possession and we just hold on to the ball for large periods without doing much. When you actually go back and look at the possession stats of that game, I think in the end it was like 30, wasn't it? 30 or 40% possession for Chelsea against Real Madrid. And to do that to a team historically like Real Madrid, and we saw a year later um, when they were galvanised and they beat Chelsea, the quality that was there, so I think at the time when Chelsea beat, I, I think the 
that victory and that performance and that dominance in that second leg actually looks better now because Real Madrid have gone on to win the Champions League. So there were some very, very good players, which we knew at the time, but how average Chelsea made that team look and how N'Golo Kante players playing as an eight that night. I thought Kai Havertz, I thought Timo Werner, I thought Ben Shurwell, Edouard Mendy made it a ridiculous save in the first half that could have changed the complexion of the whole tournament, to be honest, from Karim Benzema. Um, and the, the moment that goal from Mount goes in, I mean, it, it felt again so typical that it was going to be Mount to score the goal. Um, but the way Pulisic came off the bench and impacted things, like it was just the perfect storm for a coach because not only tactically is he improving this team, he is getting more out of players who under previous coaches just hadn't got hadn't reached that level. It was it seemed like everything that Tucker was doing, every decision he was making was paying off. Um and it and it of course led to us getting to a Champions League final in such dominant fashion. And I'll just never forget the high and the emotion of that Mason goal and just that night reaching a Champions League final and how quickly it had come about, how quickly we'd reached that stage again. And listen, I'd say to anyone who's feeling upset today, go back and watch that performance because it, it was tactically, I think if you're if you want to look, if you're someone that likes tactics, I think that game for Tuchel was just such a great example of what he can do against top quality opposition and how we can take a, a squad of players and fit them into roles and and judge when to go in games, where to exploit opposition weaknesses. You know, the three four two one actually was more of a uh, a free sort of four one two. I mean, Mount was kind of dropping a little bit deeper. You kind of had a split striker in that game with Habits and Werner, and that just was the perfect solution for that game. And again, you know, it's it's an historic victory in Chelsea history. There's no denying that. Yeah, Chelsea would have after that. And if the end of the season, a domestic cup final loss to Leicester would follow, unfortunately. Uh, and Chelsea limped over the line in the top four. But I guess a significant moment that season was fans being allowed back into the game. And there are about 8,000 to 10,000 fans there for the Leicester game. It was a chance for me to watch football for the first time in about 14 months. And the performance Chelsea those players put in and to kind of just see, you know, that team and Thomas Tuchel, you know, in the flesh, 40 months, that was a special moment for me after being away from my home essentially my second home for 14 months to be there. That was a special night and that will stay with me for a long, long time. But Daniel, we get to the, we get to, I guess, the peak of the mountain, that final Porto. Going into it, there was not a lot of confidence amongst the fan base, despite how amazing that Champions League run had been. The way the season had ended, confidence wasn't that high. But then, I don't know what it was for you. I don't know how you felt. But for me, I saw Pep wasn't starting Fernandinho in that final and immediately my confidence went, boom, we're winning this. We're winning this. And that final, the game plan, I mean, it was pretty much executed perfectly. And all those players, it seemed like they just had the performance of their lives on the biggest stage. I know we recorded a podcast the morning after uh, reacting to the game. So I definitely just go and listen to that and listen yes. to, because that kind of probably gets you better into the mood of, of how everyone was feeling after that game and how the high of that. You can't, this is the thing I want, I, I, I've stressed in also my own video on my channel and my piece, you cannot underrate and and forget the high of, of winning a Champions League and what that means and what it meant emotionally for so many of us, particularly in a season that was emotionally challenging, the distance with lockdown as well. But as you say, the performance was the pinnacle of... There's probably another performance we can match this up with. Um, and as I just said, you know, the Real Madrid performance, you could argue, was his best. 
I personally think this is the best performance because you have to factor in the stage, the pressure, what it means to win that game. Um, it creates, you know, a legacy for players. And I remember in the post pod, we spent a long time going through players and saying their journeys. I remember Jorginho being particularly one that still stands out to me and thinking that he will always have this moment, you know, Andreas Christensen coming off the bench, uh, Cesar Aspilicueta, now a decade at Chelsea, lifting a Champions League. This felt like kind of his victory um, as a captain. Mason Mount playing the pass that wins the game. Um, Reese James, Ben Chilwell. You just literally, it, it's hard to just pick out one because you every player on that night performed to such a high degree. And Tuchel, you know, he he, you could have sat there if we lost that game and gone, well, it's the start of his time at Chelsea and maybe we'll get back there. But it's taking that opportunity when it was there because, as we know now, things can change very quickly in football. And he has that forever. Um, and that bought him so much time and leeway, as did it, you know, as much as it bought, took all leeway with supporters, rightly so. It's given a lot of players leeway um, for their for their involvement in that game. You know, Kai Havertz scoring the winning goal. Um, and... I don't think that, you know, one of the things I'm just reflecting on today is as much as it's it's sad that it's over and it's sad that we have to go to another reset and have to get used to a new manager and as particularly that the hope that, you know, and the feeling that it could have been so much more of Tuchel and, and for a longer. How many fans get to experience nights like that? How many fans get to experience that emotion that we felt at full time? And Tuchel has that. That's his Champions League. He's one of only two coaches to do it. And it propels him in Chelsea history to a, to a height that not many um, are at, you know, in terms of coaches. And not many, I think, will replicate. And to do it in the fashion and to be so convincing as well, again, like how good we were. The final reflected the journey to it. Munich was chaotic. It was dramatic. It was like a film. This this victory was about precision. It was about control, and it was Tuchel's team at its best. And um, it was just a collective coming together to to perform to such a degree um, that I think has cemented, even if people feel negatively about those players, and some of those players involved in that night have moved on now. Altogether, you have to go back and watch that, as I have since, as many of us have, even in highlights or clips, and see the celebrations after to appreciate how special of a night that was and, and took all, as I say, I think salvaged a season that could have been very miserable um, for Chelsea fans. And and he, he for a lot of people, go down as one of the greatest Chelsea coaches in, in history. And the tactics, the players, the performances, the opposition we beat, particularly that Man City side, Pep Guardiola, Man City side in the Champions League final was extraordinary. Yeah, I think during the course of that whole campaign, Chelsea were only behind for about four minutes in games in total, it was one of the most dominant Champions League winning campaigns you are likely to see. Chelsea was so good. They were at a ridiculously high level, a level we had not seen for years. And it was special. And we really did feel this is just the beginning. 2012, I think I've said the time, 2012, we knew was kind of the end. And we hoped that this would be the beginning. And we hoped it really would be the beginning for something really special under Thomas Tuchel. As I say, legends, legends statuses were cemented that day. I know, I remember you kind of very, you specifically, I know we talked about Kante and you kind of said he's one of those players, you know, people will talk about, you know, in the years to come after, like he will get that appreciation he deserves. Because again, I mean, we, you know, talking about individuals, he racked off about three or four consecutive Man of the Match awards. He was phenomenal that run. Tony Rudiger, a player who 
you know, was kind of almost public enemy number one, you know, when Frank got sacked. But his turnaround, his comeback to elevate himself, to be elevated into one of the best defenders in the world. Jorginho, a player whose life at Chelsea had been very, very indifferent at that point, suddenly just got that and just rolled, ran with it. And it was just in general, just such a special, special time. And look, winning the Champions League, it doesn't get better than that. That buzz, that feeling just stays with you. It's not, it's just one of those, it just doesn't go away. It doesn't, it just stays with you. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And the reason it kind of stays you because it rolls in and it rolls into the next season. And there was momentum. You did feel there was momentum building. And Daniel, I mean, we won a Super Cup. Uh, let's go on to that next. Chelsea had lost their last two Super Cups, two Super Cup princes they played in. Um, I think they lost three, last three, and they'd lost a couple of them on penalties. Um, and again, we kind of saw just, I guess, the, you know, the smart, the shrewdness of Tuchel, the fact that he started Edouard Mendy, but Kepa, who, you know, would go, as we would see, you know, in first few rounds of Carabao Cup, that's as well, would go on, and we've seen prior in shootouts against Frankfurt, etc. was the penalty specialist. And Tuchel, again, just brought him on to win a shoot. And again, just the way, you know, Mendy kind of was cool with the decision, like the way that happened, it just felt, that, that moment just felt, again, just a real sign of the togetherness at Chelsea. And obviously in that game, we also saw, you know, a debut for Trevor Chalba, which would be one of the bright spots from, from last season. Yeah, I, you know, the way he reintegrated Kepa and that's probably Kepa's best moment as a Chelsea player. I mean, I, I think arguably it's better than the Europa League final because you think about what that player has gone through psychologically since that moment. Um, you could see how the passion, you could see the the emotion and you could see how the players loved having that moment for him. And this was in a period where the Champions League had boosted, you know, I, I think I've written about this, like there was a swagger around Stamford Bridge during that summer that it was like, it was a honeymoon period, right? It was, it was like an extended honeymoon period for, for Tuchel because that Champions League win had propelled Chelsea to a level that I think many of us thought was so far away. And it was like, we'd got a, a first class ticket, like a jetpack, back to that place. Um, and there was that, that was also the night when I think Lukaku, we knew Lukaku was going to become a Chelsea player. Um, and you're going into the Premier League season with such conviction, such confidence in Tuchel. There was kind of just un, unwavering belief that Chelsea were going upwards quickly. And, you know, that that's very powerful. And I think that it did with the Super Cup. It just felt like another moment where the team was winning a final. It was coming through. The mentality of the players was going to be benefited from winning again. And that was obviously it linked very nicely into Champions League. These players are starting to win these games, these big games under Tuchel. Um, that momentum that we had during that early start of 2021-22, um, you know, it's it's hard to look back now because, you know, and see how things have turned out because there is a what if around last season, absolutely. Um, and to cultivate that again, I think is very difficult. I think it's right you say that the some of the football and some of the feeling around Tuchel during that period we hadn't really felt since like Jose or Carlo, you know, it was, it was, it, 
it was a rarity at Chelsea to feel that confident. And really, I mean, the, the Premier League season kind of showed us that our confidence was maybe misplaced, but it shows the quality of Thomas Tuchel as a head coach and how he galvanised people behind him very quickly. So that I think is on Tuchel rather than people us sort of shrugging our shoulders and going, oh, you know, we were just silly for thinking we could win more. I think actually it's it's a, it's a testament to what Tuchel has done and did in a very short period of time at Stamford Bridge. Yeah, as I say, in this point, it did feel like Chelsea wished in footballing Nirvana. That period was was just incredible. And I actually want to go then straight away to the opening day of the season because a 3-0 win against Crystal Palace may not seem like a huge amount, but Daniel, that was just the first time the Stamford Bridge was full since Everton in March 2020. And that in itself felt huge. You know, people were seeing each other for the first time in ages. Stamford Bridge were just back. The fans were back. And we put in a 3-0 display but was dominant. And was arguably going to be kind of just remembered mostly for, for Trevor Chalaber's goal on his Premier League debut and just collapsing to the knees and just kind of re- seeing a dream come true right in front of your eyes. It was emotional and um, it, was, it was just so lovely to see a surprise really um, in pre-season and to see Trevor get that chance and for Tuchel to, to give that chance. And it just added a freshness to the team because obviously Jules Kunde was very heavily linked during those weeks and it kind of felt inevitable that he was going to sign and to just see him him thrive and have that moment where, as you say, he drops to the knees, he gets the appreciation and, you know, it, it gets forgotten. Maybe it gets forgotten about in sort of the overall narrative around Tuchel. But yeah, fans returning was massive. It was I was there a few days earlier for the Spurs. Um, was it a week earlier? I think the Super Cup obviously was before the, the first game of the season, but I was there for the Spurs preseason. And just seeing football, seeing fans there, seeing the energy around Stamford Bridge, it was just so unrelentingly positive um that again that power i think was just pulling the players forward a lot um and obviously seeing an academy graduate score like that on his full premier league debut is just a dream come true yeah i'm now just going to kind of throw three sort of three games into one because these were kind of moments at the time but we really did think something special was building a tuna win against arsenal happened romelu lukaku performing on his premier league debut kind of looking like chelsea have got that missing piece then a gutsy 1-1 draw at Anfield where Chelsea reduced to 10 men. Again, kind of just showing, you know, the class of that team, the strength of that team. We'll see, I think Thiago Silva, that's when Thiago Silva made his first appearance of the season off a bench. And, you know, he would go on to have an incredible season. And then a 3-0 win away at Spurs where, frankly, we were pretty average that first half. And then, boom, we turned it around second half and scored three goals. And just, Daniel, just those three games just really did have us believing. You know, as you kind of mentioned, it probably had a bit, you know, misplaced trust in a way. But just because of the level of those performances and the characteristics we'd seen, we really did, you know, have something that this could be such a special season. There seems to be an inevitability around Chelsea. Um, as you say, I think the Spurs one is the one that sticks out to me there, actually, because, you know, I was watching that game. Um, I think I was on holiday at the time and I, I, I watched it and it was just, you were, again, that confidence that you were just like, well, yeah, of course, we're beating Spurs comfortably 3-0 away from home. And although we have a good record against Spurs in the Premier League, um, you know, maybe less certain Chelsea teams wouldn't have won that game. Um, and it just, it felt like we were outperforming our numbers. We weren't creating a lot of chances, which became a problem later on, obviously. Uh, but you see Lukaku coming in. He, he he looks to be improving the attack. He's scoring with a limited amount of chances. Um, the wing backs start to really, I think that's when we started to notice the wing backs being such a big threat for Chelsea and really being involved. And Tuchel was really working on something there. 
And I remember people outside of Chelsea were really confident that we were going to do something special that year. I think there was just, there seemed to be a threat about Chelsea. People just didn't want to play us. And it it felt and it looked like Tuchel, you know, was steadily in the Premier League context, was improving on, on last season. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, Daniel, we can't talk how the football wasn't always the most exciting. There were points where, you know, it was a lot, you know, conservative. And obviously that worked, that suited us well. But we did see some free-flowing football, albeit against a very poor Norwich side. But the biggest win of the Thomas Tuchel era, a 7-0 win at home to Norwich, a Mason Mount hat-trick, Callum Hudson-Odoi on the score sheet, Rhys James on the score sheet. I think, what was it, five or six for goals? You know, academy grads are, like, fully involved in it. That, again, it's just one of those moments, and it's just a game that didn't really have a huge bearing on the season, but it was just one of those moments, especially if you were there. Again, it just felt like enjoyment. This is what it's about. This is what, you know, we wanted to see from Chelsea. We we probably didn't end up seeing enough, but just a really special day that as well. Yeah, luckily I was there. And, you know, anytime you get to see your team score seven goals, um, it, it's absolutely massive. And uh, obviously Norwich last season were, were terrible. They really were. And, and listen, I know a lot of people will look at that and say, the opposition, but I felt Calamos and Odoi. This was this was the period. This was his best period in the Chelsea shirt under Tuchel, uh, where he started to play at left wing and he was really influencing things as well. And um, we're starting to get up to the, unfortunately the peak of Thomas Tuchel, uh, where things are really flying. The rotations, the the spirit of the team. Um, I also just felt that there was such a a confidence in the players that we haven't seen since of when they went forward, you just, you could see within them, particularly the likes of Ben Chirwell and Reese James, who were arguably two of Tuchel's best players during his time at the club. Um, there was just an inevitability about them. They just looked unstoppable at times. And, and that was, that was so powerful, I think, for the team. And, and they were kind of the, in a way, they were the, they were the leaders in attack. They were the ones who were opening up space for others. And obviously Mount, who actually started the season quite slow, was starting to pick up pace now. And and that hat trick obviously for him was big. Yeah, uh, there was also a very impressive three 0 win at Newcastle for him there, given Chelsea's poor record at St James Park over the years. That did feel big too. And Daniel, I kind of want to focus this week, or this, you know these few days in general. Leicester away three 0 a Saturday lunchtime kickoff. Chelsea won three 0 and they scored about three or four offside goals. Rudiger scored from a corner. Kante scored a wonder goal. Pulisic scored again. It just felt like yeah. There's real momentum building here. Chelsea in the Premier League, they're solid defensively and they're fairly clinical. And they just look like they're going to score. But it was just a real good, that was pretty, I say, we, we are very much now close to reaching the peak and the best of Thomas Tuchel. Yeah, I, I remember watching that because I I think it was under Antonio Conte we won at Leicester um, convincingly. I think it was like the January or something. Yeah, it was 3-0 that... after we'd had sort of the Costa controversy with yeah, China and, and then, yeah. And then the performance was just so dominant against Leicester, who were champions at the time, and they were having a difficult season. But this game in particular, again, sort of, I think we come off the back of an international break. And I remember writing a massive piece about our sort of winter problems, right? And, and this is this is usually when it starts to go wrong and you see them turn up at Leicester, which is an awkward ground for Chelsea, and just swat Leicester aside. Like, it was just, again, the players who just snapped back into it after international break. Um the I felt in this game in particular, again, obviously we always look at the wing backs, but I felt Kante and Jorginho again, it felt like those two were just continuing where they'd left off. And you know, mid midfield, it's a shame now because midfield had become such a problem area 
in the past. But for those two, when those two were together, Jorginho and Kante, um, maybe before Christmas of, 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 of last year, it still felt like those two were such a big part of the team. And Kante scoring almost a Lampard-esque goal from distance was was truly wonderful. And again, you kind of, you, you're going into these games where you just feel so much confidence in the team that they are going to play to a certain level. And remember as well, we had the injuries, you know, Lukaku was out injured. Uh, Werner was out injured. I believe there were others too. Robert who were out injured, injured at the time. Yeah. And it was, it, yeah, was, it, was, it, it, yeah, it's 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 a shame looking back now, but I'd suggest again look back at that game and look at the the level of the players and and how high they were, uh, because that that's one of the top five. Well, it's hard because there are a lot of Champions League games from the previous season that you could add in a top five, but this probably is top five, top six performances under Tuchel. Yep, and the next one we're going to talk about firmly is Juventus at home four nil beating an Italian giant, one of the biggest clubs out there. Daniel Freecom Academy graduates on the score sheet again. And this was a Chelsea side just in full confidence. And they absolutely tore Juventus apart. Trevor Chalabar with an opening goal, Reese James with a second goal, and Kalmar Sandoy adding a third so quickly after. And just that feeling, that atmosphere, just around that game, just around that performance. Like you generally like left that ground and you were just like, wow, I I can't remember life but last time life felt so good as a Chelsea fan. We're battering Europe's elite now. Like the previous season, we'd won the competition and we battered without battering Real Madrid. But mm-hmm. we'd just gone and battered Juventus emphatically 4-0. And that was probably, in terms of fans being in the stadium, because obviously for Champions League, we weren't you know, at those games. But those fans, that was probably one of the best games at Stamford Bridge that fans could see during the Tuchel era. I remember tweeting that Chelsea in 2021 have wiped the floor with... Juventus and Real Madrid at Stamford Bridge and just tweeting that was just an incredible thing wasn't it that these are as you said these are two European giants and to do so was was still impressive despite the flaws of those teams at the time we played them um the Kalamas and Adoy goal I watched it the other night actually and it just the feeling around those players and the feeling around um the the ground particularly it was just sort of riding the crest of a wave, wasn't it? it? It felt like the everyone at that point. I, I just remember coming away from that game, even after Ben Shaw was injured, which we didn't know the extent of, sadly. And um, maybe if I if I did, it would have soured my mood about things. But I just at that point, I was like, yeah, I think that this team is serious because I was I was having my doubts because I was just like, I've seen Chelsea start seasons well, and we get to about November and everything collapses. But genuinely, my emotion at the time, and I don't think we were being silly or naive for thinking this, genuinely, that was some of the best football I've seen Chelsea play in years. And it felt like it was rivaling some of our best domestic seasons. And that's, again, that is credit to Tuchel from, for a short period, how how legitimate it was, how sustainable it was, even with injuries, we'll never know. But it was an historic European performance at Stanford Bridge, wasn't it? Yeah, no, that was truly, truly special. But unfortunately, that was probably the peak and as good as it really got, obviously Ben Shilwell would suffer essentially a season ending injury. He came off the five minutes of the last game of the season at Watford, but unfortunately Daniel from then on, it was, it was difficult. Chelsea's season did peter out a bit. That was a disappointing three, two loss at West Ham where there were errors, you know, just uncharacteristic errors made. There were draws. Chelsea were hit with COVID, etc. There were just a lot of issues, going on and then an inter- famous interview kind of happens uh, before 
but Liverpool two all at Stamford Bridge, I kind of want to focus about because again, this game was a crazy game. It was the second of a four part instalment of games against Liverpool that season. A game where Chelsea came from two 0 down. A game where you know again that performance, that result, and what we saw at the time, it wouldn't have been a surprise to see Chelsea just capitulate, given everything was going on. Chelsea of old probably would have, but again, that was kind of a testament to Tuchel and the group he had around him. But despite what went on, they still kept fighting and they came back from, you know, two and down both goals in a matter of minutes. Again, Stamford Bridge, I mean, Stamford Bridge, going back to Juventus, those three minutes or so between Reese James and Callum hudson Doyle's goal was special. If you just want to like, you just want to bottle that up really and just store that forever. And again, those minutes between Kovacic's wonder goal and Christian Pulisic's goal, again, just one of those really special moments. It felt like Tuchel had won the Lukaku battle, which I think he did in the end, right? And we'd seen so many previous examples where a superstar player, a superstar signing speaks out, is frustrated, it isn't working. And that lessens the the power of the head coach. And actually in that situation, it felt like Tuchel's reputation, his demeanor, his standing amongst supporters and in the club actually strengthened. And Lukaku was the loser in that. And then you saw the performance the way we'd, we'd lacked a lot of energy for a number of reasons for, for many weeks. And to see that, it, it was just another example of Tuchel in those big games where he was you could trust him that he would come out with a great game plan. I think in that season last year, we were really unfortunate to not beat Liverpool once. I think in all four games, maybe the exception of the FA Cup final, I think the FA Cup final was the one where Liverpool probably had better chances in, in, in 90 minutes. But I think for most of the games against Liverpool, Chelsea, it was really close and Chelsea played some of their best and most exciting football. And particularly in that game, how chaotic it was, it just it was kind of an antidote to a lot of games that kind of felt low energy and and slow and sluggish and things were feeling down. Uh, but to come to come from Tuno down against a, a really good Liverpool side who were free flowing and scoring a lot of goals, I remember in that period, was obviously impressive. And uh, the the scenes after um, Pulisic's goal and the celebration from Tuchel was massive. Yeah, no, exactly. Special, special moments. Obviously, in January, we've played Spurs three times, twice in the Carabao Cup and once in the Premier League. Daniel, this time Spurs had Antonio Conte. When we played him in September, they had Nuno Espirito Santo. But this time they had Antonio Conte. And again, Chelsea comprehensively wiped the floor. Made kind of more impressive the fact that uh, Edouard Mendy was away at AFCON. Kepa stepped into goal. And Malang Sarr kind of, date, you know, featured in, I think, all three of those games either as a centre-back or a left back, we saw Saul kind of have a one a masterclass, one of his few rare, really good games in the first leg of that game. And again, Chelsea and Conte uh, and Tuchel, sorry, that was just again kind of showing just your principal team. But because going into that Spurs game, especially that first leg, you know, with COVID injury, etc., like it was actually maybe a bit tense. But we ended up just wiping the floor with Spurs in all three games. Yeah, I remember the. I think the last one against Spurs that season was probably the most impressive because. It came after a really disappointing draw at Brighton, if I remember rightly. Yeah. And uh, just the energy of that performance, again, with Tuchel being able to cultivate something in difficult circumstances was was something that maybe predecessors of his wouldn't have been able to do. The slide may have continued, right? And and, and I think that that was something that Tuchel was consistently able to do. Um, I felt as well he brought Malang Sarr in, which, you know, a few months later didn't really work out and Malang Sarr is no longer at the club. Uh, but that was that was such a great example with Saar and other players. Of I felt Tuchel for a period was really good at making the most of what he had at his disposal if it wasn't the perfect solution. I think we saw this later on in the season at Real Madrid where 
all right, he doesn't have his first choice wing back. He doesn't have his his first choice central midfielder, whatever it is. And he shaped Malang Sara into a left back in that in that specific game, and it worked. Um, and it was just proof for a period, as I say, that maybe we haven't seen this season, unfortunately, is taking a player, using him to his best ability, or just reconfiguring him for this specific example of a game where I can get something out of you for this occasion. That's something very special as a head coach. It's easy to say, and you know, in the t- in the world of tactics and people playing football manager and really delving into things, you know, there is there is a man management side to that of trust of a player like Malang Sar, who I think would have been discarded under previous coaches, but for at least a short period, he was able to get something out of of him and 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 the way the team responded to Tuchel. It was quite clearly a period where the players were responding to him and to beat Spurs. It obviously, it's still to me, it's. It's good, I think, in the current dressing room. I think the players understand what that game means to supporters. I think they understand a bit of its importance. And you saw that in in in, in the January, uh, what was it, trilogy of games against them. Yeah, exactly. Chelsea would end the season with an 8-0 aggregate win over Spurs over those four games. Premier League, after that, Premier League football got pushed aside for a bit because Chelsea had the chance to make history, a chance to complete the set. Daniel, the Club World Cup, boy, it was stressful. It was not great watching. You know, we won the games. Uh, Romelu Lukaku goal in the semi-final. He scored the opener in the final and then Kai Havertz scored the winning penalty. But Daniel, the performances won great, but it didn't matter because Chelsea had completed the set. The pain of 2012 and losing that uh, Club World Cup final to Corinthians was laid to rest as Thomas Tuchel made history and he became the first, you know, Chelsea manager to win the Champions League uh, Super Cup and the Club World Cup. The only manager in Chelsea history to win the Club World Cup. He completed the set and that itself Obviously, these, you know, the Super Club and the Club World Cup are kind of, guess, legacy trophies of, of winning the Champions League. But even just winning the Club World Cup, just calling yourself champions of the world, the feeling around that, the buzz around that was, again, just something, you know, to, to just build on for ages, wasn't it? I felt this game was Aspilicueta's sort of moment. Uh, he's the one I most think about in this game because, I mean, it wasn't very entertaining, was it? It wasn't, uh, it wasn't anywhere close tactically or performance-wise to the Champions League win. Um, or some of the earlier performances under Tuchel, it was just more, I think, for for Dave in that moment to to complete the set and for Chelsea to complete the set. And obviously, with what was about to happen, a seismic event in the club's history and change the course of Chelsea history in in, in the space of a few weeks after that trap, you know, we were completing the set and it felt like something that quite clearly meant a lot to the Abramovich, personally to Abramovich, he he was obviously there at the time. And also to to the players, to the coach, I think that, you know, for Tuchel to have that set, to have that unique thing as Chelsea head coach, that he he not only won the Champions League, he wins the Super Cup, he wins the Club World Cup. And to have that badge, we saw it again last night in Zagreb, you know, I think means a lot. And it, it's something special, even if people, if your club isn't involved, I think people kind of discard and forget about it. But I think it meant a lot. And obviously Kai Havertz, just seemingly throughout the Tuchel uh, era, just popping up with big goals. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. A very special moment. But life as we knew it was unfortunately about to change. Chelsea, you know, did progress uh, past Lille. Uh, sorry, did secure a first leg win over Lille 2-0 to all but secure, you know, uh, a quarterfinal place. A heartbreaking Carabao Cup final defeat followed on penalties where, again, Chelsea kind of played the perfect game and missed out and paid the crime for, for not putting away their chances. But Daniel, just before the Liverpool game, we kind of got, you know, that first inkling of news about, you know, Roman kind of putting the club up for sale. But then after that, we get the sanctions. And this, I think, is actually a moment that I think is really important to focus on. And it's not necessarily just about a game this. This is just about 
Thomas Tuchel the person. I think this is where, actually, as much as the brilliance of him as a, tact- a tactician and all the success he brought on the pitch, this is a part where equally he built his standing. It just went up and up. And the respect he garnered for the, by the fans was truly something else. Because I, I genuinely think lesser, lesser mortals could easily have just, you know, seen the situation, mm. seen what was going on and walked. And we probably couldn't really have blamed them because Chelsea was a mess. And given also, you know, and you know, who would have thought, given you know the character we thought we were getting with Tuchel, with Dortmund and PSG, how how well he handled that situation. He was a great spokesman for the club, and he just met, I guess, made you feel proud to be a Chelsea fan. And no matter how hard it was, you kind of felt, well, we've got Thomas Tuchel, so we can still do anything. Yeah, I, this was a period when I think a lot of people, you know, speaking to people who you know would be going to the games and following Tuchel and and living off his every word at the point because he was kind of the only public spokesperson for the club. Other, him and Emma Hayes basically were, were answering questions all the time. And hearing people say, I think it was before the Newcastle game, someone was like to me, he's my favourite Chelsea manager. And I think that that period emotionally is it's something that probably people think sounds silly was as much, the, the way he handled himself in that period was as much a part of his legacy and lifting it to a high level as the Champions League went. Because speaking for Chelsea, when the club was, you know, under a lot of scrutiny, there was a lot of uncertainty for a short period. There was a bit of fear over whether, what was going to be the existence of the club beyond that season, beyond the sanctions. And he, I think for as long as it was, it was only about the March period, wasn't it? But he kept the team winning. They started, they were playing well in that period. Arguably one of the best months after that November period where it was so good uh we beat Lille we beat we beat Middlesbrough to get to the FA Cup semi-final uh we were winning games in the Premier League you know Kai Havertz I remember probably had his best run in a Chelsea shirt during that period the Newcastle game was very emotional winning that and Tuchel again he was just it felt like he was going to be the guy to kind of break the mold it felt like he was going to be the guy that people just rallied behind and even though it hasn't turned out to be a long-term thing with Tuchel I still think he deserves a lot of appreciation. As you say, he has dealt with problems at Chelsea that are not unique to him, that are probably a thing, things that we have been speaking about for many years with different coaches. You know, it's just changing the name of the guy under pressure at that time. It's just changing the name of the guy under pressure at that time. But I think on top of that, he has dealt with things that are so unique to him and probably will always be unique to him. I don't know when a Chelsea head coach is going to have to deal with sanctions and deal with questions about war that he dealt with so respectably, you know, he could have just flippantly rejected them and and it wouldn't have come across well at the time, uh, even if he probably shouldn't have to answer those questions or there should be someone above him at the club who should have been answering questions that he didn't have to. So yeah, just that respect as a person there just went up and I don't want to bring this up because it probably is, is inappropriate to bring it up on a football podcast, but it's quite clear he was. There were personal things in his life that he was struggling with at the time, and just to have that demeanor to keep going, to keep pushing, to keep showing yourself, and and with such you know dignity and showing those things that we saw in his very first press conference, I think that's why people will just have such a bond with Tuchel forever. Yeah, I think it's respect not just for him as a coach during this time; it was for him as a person. And he said he was the sole representation of Chelsea at that time, and you just felt so proud to have him going, and you genuinely just felt like we're kind of indestructible almost. We can still do anything and Daniel this is kind of I guess the final high point and I know I ha- high point here is obviously subjective because we didn't progress from this game 
But that Real Madrid second leg, we'd obviously suffered a disappointing first leg loss at Stamford Bridge, 3-1, very uncharacteristic, errors made. But that second leg, we saw the best of Thomas Tuchel. We Mm. saw a man who firmly believed he could turn that game around, players who could turn that game around. And for 80 minutes, I mean, Chelsea fans were in heaven. I mean, I say I was at the Bernabeu for those 80 minutes. It was, life was glorious. It never felt so good. And it's one of those I described at the time. It was a glorious defeat. And I think when you support a club like Chelsea, you don't actually want to celebrate defeats much because, it, you know, success and winning games is kind of what this this club is kind of built on. But that defeat, again, you just felt so proud. And it was the quarterfinals of the Champions League. We'd obviously, you know, we would kind of wanted to build on. We didn't want the season before to just to be a one-off. We didn't want it to be a flash in the pan. And Dan, despite not going through that second leg showed at the time anyway, but under Tuchel, that was not going to be a one-off. But Chelsea were going to get back there again and again because the performance we saw against the eventual European champions was truly something else. Yeah, I mean, this is one of many individual one-off performances. I know my colleague Adam Newsom has said this, that there aren't many coaches currently that you'd pick for a one-off game if you say, I'm going to have one coach in European football to get me ready for one specific scenario, uh, one game where Chelsea had to respond to being behind in the first leg. And and this was, as I mentioned earlier, he puts Reese James at right centre-back. He uses Ruben Loftus-Cheek as a right wing-back, um, which was a, a decision that you would have said about four or five months earlier. You were like, that's just not going to work. How is that going to work against Vinicius Jr. and Real Madrid? And it did. It worked brilliantly. And Mason Mount, I thought, was exceptional that night. Timo Werner had arguably one of his best performances for Chelsea. And it's just, it, it's sad because it, there is a sliding doors moment there, absolutely. I mean, if we go on to win that game, um, you, you do wonder what happens, right? And where we sit right now, we could have maybe ended in the same way, even if Tuchel had gone and, and won the Champions League for a second time. But I, I don't think that we should forget in the Bernabeu, Chelsea playing like that. There, As you say, especially for those who were there and even those like myself who were watching from home, there's there's still an admiration for that performance. It, I, I don't think we should just dismiss it because we didn't win. It was a truly incredible performance. Unfortunately, one at a level that we haven't reached since, but I think reflected the best of Tuchel as, as a coach at Chelsea. And, and, and one, as I say, if you're going to be reliving some of Tuchel's best moments, absolutely has to be up there. Um, even if you just cut off after the full-time whistle and don't watch extra time. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think in terms of the, Best moments. Unfortunately, that probably is where it ends. Chelsea's league form after, you know, that game did, did it did kind of feel that that Real Madrid game just took a lot out of us, Daniel. And that the you know, what had gone on in the season with the sanctions did eventually catch up to us. We limped over the line though, we got third place and we got Chelsea's best league points total since winning the Premier League in the 16-17 season. Unfortunately, an FA Cup final defeat on penalties for it. And again, it was just looking back on that second season, it was just one of fine margins where that season was special and it was great. And I think it's someone we should we should try and remember as fondly as possible. But also, given everything went on, those two final defeats, it just makes you think what could have been, because that really could have been one of the most special seasons, given everything that went on in Chelsea history. Yeah, it's sad. I mean, I, I think that the mood in those final weeks was just, it, it felt like the, the energy that Tuchel was carrying to propel his team to keep them focused on the pitch and not focus on the sanctions and all the uncertainty did wear off. And it felt like once the, in retrospect, it's easy to say, right, that I think post-Real Madrid, um, 
the quality of performances deteriorated. I think some of the focus sort of dropped. We saw a lapse in concentration. And by the end of the season, I think most people were just happy for it to end. I mean, even going into that final, personally, I was, I wasn't as interested or the level of, of emotion for that final wasn't the same as it was in February. It just, it naturally wasn't because I think that a lot of us were just concerned about getting the takeover done and just moving forward and being out of that season. And as you say, you know, it, it's, it's two cup finals and it's two penalty shootouts that could go another way. And we're looking at that season very differently. And the sad thing is now with what's happened with Thomas Tuchel, it is again, sliding doors. And that's, I think we come to a lot of definitive conclusions about football and, and simple sort of explanations. And it is at the top level in these big games, it is sometimes you can put it down to fortune, a moment of quality, a moment of precision, uh, an officiating decision that doesn't go for you or does go for you. Um, it's 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 sad that neither of those finals went for us, especially against Liverpool. So, but you know, again, in the both of those games, I think Tuchel still was proving how good tactically he was because Liverpool in both, in the run-up to both cup finals, had scored a lot of goals. And the fact that we shut them down both times shows, I think, the quality within Tuchel as a tactician and, and the squad to kind of instill and and to to sort of uh, go out there and, and fulfil what Tuchel wants to see. Yeah. And look, unfortunately, as we kind of discussed the sub podcast this season has not been great. We don't need to really dwell on anything. There's been moments, as we've said, where we've kind of seen traits and hallmarks of, of of previous regimes coming to an end. And I don't want to focus on that. Lucky Land Casino asking people, "What's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky?" Lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Daniel, Thomas Tuchel, arguably one of the greatest tacticians we've probably seen at Chelsea. You think of... You know, he's probably just maybe just below Mourinho in terms of the great tacticians. We've seen the impact he did with the squad he had. I know in pieces you've kind of described him as a meta coach. Um, just what's your kind of just like your general now overriding piece? We've kind of just discussed like the high points and the best points and the defining moments of the Thomas Tuchel era. Now we say goodbye to him. What's your just kind of overriding feelings of of, of a, being a fan during the Tuchel era? Obviously being, you know, now your, your role at Football London in the... The footballer and how are you just going to remember Thomas Tuchel and, and his job at Chelsea? My my reflection today, speaking about it and writing a long piece about it and and just you know hearing other people's reactions, I think it is it has to be generally positive. Um, I'm not as devastated uh, as I was the last time this happened, and as I said at the start of this podcast, maybe that's because I'm sort of numb to it, and you just kind of kind of have to accept that that's what it is, and and we just kind of move forward. But it's one of gratitude and you know before Tucker was appointed I was reading a lot you know I read a lot of football books in my spare time and one of them I read was called uh, Mensch it's a really good book I think by Jonathan Harding and it's all about sort of German coaching and liking that culture of football liking that culture of sort of coach as difficult it was at the time to see Lampard go emotionally um, I quickly realised this is kind of the coach I wanted to see at Chelsea uh, from that culture and sort of tactically what he could bring. And for the first year, 
I think I will give it the first year. And we saw all of that. We saw a a guy who I think was going to make, I felt could make this team better than the sum of its parts that we could really get behind tactically it was fascinating to watch the way he reconfigured certain players in moments whether that be changing players to wing backs which became a bit of a joke and and people get annoyed about it but I, I do think it was impressive when other coaches probably would have discarded players quicker he made decisions that I disagree with that I think both of us disagree with um that you can list and be very critical of and say why did you make this call? Because now it looks like a bad call. Um, I feel like the worst one for me of his whole regime is is the way he excluded Tammy Abraham. I, I think that that one stands head and shoulders above all the rest, um, particularly when we look at the goal-scoring problems that he has never been fully able to rectify. You do just wonder why that decision was made and why how why he made it so quickly. Um, but those are decisions that every coach makes. They, they there are winners and losers, and and there are and as Tuchel is as a coach, he you balance you have to balance everything out in the end and have a nuanced take and say he won us a European Cup, and although it didn't turn out to be a Premier League winning tenure, which I think a lot of us dreamed it could have been, because I think we all felt that Tuchel had the capacity to be that. He could have reached that level and how incredible it would have been to take us back to the summit of of English football. A Champions League ain't bad. You know, a Champions League is something that all of us will remember forever and cherish. And it's one of it's one of the big two. And arguably my emotion that night that's what I've been thinking about a lot today, how I felt when that full-time whistle blew, the, the the feeling post that, the feeling in some of his best wins, the feeling he he gave me as a supporter in more challenging moments, um, as we spoke about with the sanctions or the way he dealt with the first press conferences um, as Chelsea head coach. All of those things, I think that for me personally, are things that should be cherished. And, and I am happy that he was Chelsea head coach and I will go back and celebrate and cherish those good moments. And I'm glad for his reputation that he leaves a bit unscathed, to be honest. I know it's been a difficult start to the season, but you know, it never got terrible, did it? Um, it, It's been a bit brutal. It's ended quickly, but if we would have, if I would have said to you, he wins us a champions league and this is how it played out particularly with how it ended with Lampard and how we felt about that squad at that particular time. If I would have said to you four months later, Chelsea are going to win the Champions League, you, all of us would have laughed. Like, And even if we can all turn around and go, well, it's Chelsea, Ch- Chelsea doing Chelsea things, little about that squad had given the impression that they were capable of doing that at that particular time. And it's Tuchel's trophy, I think. it's ob- Obviously, the players were involved. There's so many people involved in the football club, but Tuchel... It felt like he was kind of above everything at Chelsea, not in an arrogant way, but like he was the one pulling people forward. Um, and I hope that his work is continued in some way. Um, that's going to be very difficult, but you'd like to think that all of the signings we've just made are not just going to peter out now because we don't have the coach who the coach who was there when they were signed. That's that's my hope. Gratitude, humility. I think he has been one of the best coaches we've seen at Chelsea. And I think that overall, 
you're going to find very few fans who have bad words to say about him when they actually sit down and reflect about his time as as we've done here. Yeah, no, exactly. He gave fans some of the best moments of their lives. Say Jack was out there in Port Hope. He gave Jack a moment he'll never forget. I was at the pub uh, with a, with someone I'd literally just met with, with someone I'd been speaking to on Twitter for months before. And at full time, we raced outside the ground again. It's it's in celebration again. Bear in mind, there's still COVID going around, but it's just a final, a sense of unity, a sense of celebration, and just being among kindred spirits. And that was truly special. And look, Thomas Tuchel, for a man who was dubbed the mercenary, who struggled to forge a relationship at PSG and Dortmund, one of his biggest triumphs is becoming so loved in such a short amount of time at Chelsea, without there being fans in stadiums. It, to put that scale, that is such a seriously impressive achievement. What he did. And it's it's easy to say, but he got Chelsea. Not all managers get Chelsea, but Thomas Tuchel got Chelsea. And maybe in maybe him getting Chelsea was actually his biggest downfall in the end with this regime and this new era. But he was special. He was brilliant. As I said, he got that banner. I'm delighted the Deutsche Maestro about Le- the Leicester game last season. His reaction to that again, it was special to him. That connection was special. You know, rehashing. We've got Super Frankie Lampard. So we've got Tommy, Super Tommy Tuchel. It was, yeah, it was special. It was a journey. It was a fun journey to be a part of. And it was one that up until, you know, the start of the season, till these last few, you didn't want to get off. And to be fair, I'm not sure I did want to get off. It's just the way the feeling was at the time. But mm. that, those, that the beginning of the Tuka era was something like we've not seen for a long, long time. And that was truly, truly such a special time to be a Chelsea fan. So that Thomas Tuchel leaves a Chelsea legend. He leaves one of the greatest managers in Chelsea history. That's what winning a European Cup does for you. His legacy is firmly secure. He will, he should and will will be loved. It's actually been, I said, the one nice thing about Tuchel is just the general, well, I think they, the universal love for him, but we've not seen perhaps for previous coaches when they've got dismissed. There is just a universal love for him, which has been so nice to see. And I hope he knows that whatever's gone on behind the scenes, whatever's gone on in person, that the connection he had with the Chelsea fans was special and that he really did make an impact on our lives. And hopefully we made an impact on his. It was truly a special time. And Thomas, good luck for the future. It was an absolute pleasure talking about your team uh, for the most part, even if it was frustrating at points. Um, Daniel, before we go, you've got an article out there kind of talking about, you know, summing up the Thomas Tuchel era. Do you just want to give yourself a plug? Well, obviously people can find all your various work on for that article as well. Yeah, that's on Football London. Uh, now, if you if you go to my Twitter page, uh, at Son of Chelsea, that's probably the best place to find it. Uh, I might actually pin it tonight uh, because it's, you know, the big piece about his his reign as Chelsea's head coach. Um, and yeah, so at Son of Chelsea is best place to find all my work, my written work and my thoughts on Chelsea and then obviously Son of Chelsea on YouTube. Yeah, make sure you check Daniel out. And those links will be in the description. As you mentioned earlier, I will try and link that Champions League final winning pod if anyone in the description, if anyone wants to look back at it, because that was probably a day where we were able to give a more real and like emotional look back about Champions League final that was truly special. As for us, we're on Twitter at that Chelsea podcast. Uh, sorry, on at that Chelsea pod on Insta at that Chelsea pod. We're on all your usual podcast platform providers, Apple, Spotify, etc. If you're not subscribed already, just search that Chelsea podcast. As I say, give us a like, retweet when I share the pod about. Again, it's an episode I I knew I would have to do someday. I didn't want to do it today, but it's come. And hopefully, for people listening, it's been quite a cathartic experience. And hopefully, it's been an experience where you know you you've been able to look back on and relive the full moments. Because I think in a moment of sadness it's good and it's important to look back at all the good bits because this was a truly special time at Chelsea Football Club, an era, but uh, you know, a period of time, but we should not forget. So yeah, look, it was special. As I said, 
not an episode we wanted to do, but it is what it is. It's, it's what you get when you support Chelsea. But anyway, folks, until the next episode, keep a blue flag flying high. Sports Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.